You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young, and we are here with the president of the Dunstan Group, Scott Dunstan. And we are here with Billy Lapari from SureSeal. And I want to tell you a little bit about, you know, SureSeal, tell you a little bit about, uh, about Billy, but let's just jump into it, right? You know, there was a commercial a few years back about a company, and they said, quote, they make a lot of things you know better. Truth is, just about any product you see is packaged with pieces and parts. There's companies that may you may have never heard of uh, that make all those pieces and make all of those parts. And one of those companies that's uh, locally here is SureSeal. Now, they engineer, design, and manufacture all kinds of parts for all kinds of industries, from aerospace to medical to automotive, heating and air, uh, lighting. Really, the list goes on. Billy is the marketing director for this organization, is going to join us today to talk a little bit about that, talk a little bit about his journey. We've already learned about his two daughters, so we can't jump into or can't wait to jump into that as well. Um, but Billy, thank you so much and welcome to this episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast. Thank you for having me. Billy, thank you, man. Uh, really appreciate you being here. And Brian, good explanation of what SureSeal does. But Billy, I'm interested in what your elevator pitch for the company would be. Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think the easiest way to explain what we do is really we partner with companies and we help them uh, make their products better. So a, a lot of times people come to us because we're really material experts and we have engineers um, uh, in-house and we can give multiple, you know, a good, better, best option. And, um, you know, that's really our strength is, you know, being in the business for 80 plus years, we know materials better than most. Um, and a lot of people, uh, you know, they have an idea of what they want, but until they really talk to us, um, sometimes, you know, engineers over-engineer something. Sometimes it's no. under- Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then it comes down to, you know, they figure out what it, you know, how's, you know, what's the cost what's, and, and- What's um, actually practical. Yeah, yeah so-, so that's really our pitch is um, we partner with people. We, we are an extension of their engineering team, and um, we're going to- you know, help them make their product better, safer, um, you name it. Um, that's where we come in. And that's, that's kind of hard to explain on a, on a website or a brochure, but we have a history of, uh, not losing customers. I think we've, I think tactically we've lost like one customer in 30 years or something like that. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. (laughs) Now, now sometimes there's end of life a product and they don't need us, but, um, our performance and the relationships that we build um, speak for itself. Very cool. So give me an example. I believe you guys do a lot in like the aerospace. Would it be, hey, we're manufacturing a new plane. There could be parts that maybe had issues. Are you guys going in there and designing those components around it? Like give me an example of how that would work. So we, well, first of all, we manufacture what's called light flexible materials. So um, your foams and rubbers and gaskets. So, you know, really the the non-sexy uh, parts that are really in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you're talking about aerospace, a lot of times they're, they're spec'd and, and we're building something to the, to the OEM specs. So there may be less conversation on 
this, that, and the other thing, and here are the different options. Um, aerospace is very, very technical. We are certified, so we go through a certain uh, aerospace process that um, is unique and not everybody can do. So, yes, we can give options, but with aerospace, our strength is really we, we are certified and we go through a process and um, we can guarantee you know, low tolerance and, and we can provide a part um, you know, at a moment's notice to the quantities that they want. So um, that's kind of a different animal of our business. The good news is because we're aerospace certified, we run everything through the aerospace process. So if you are, I don't want to name other accounts, but if you're an HVAC company or automotive, we're still going to handle your product the same way. I love that. I want to, before we dive all the way into, into SureSeal, you have a phenomenal background. Uh, you went to Penn State uh, in marketing in the 90s, and it's just fascinating somebody that majored in marketing in the 90s compared to what marketing is in 2023, right? I mean, I don't even know, when you told your parents you wanted to go become a marketing, they're probably like, oh, great. How are you going to get a job doing that? You know, it was just a different time. And now you think about social media, you think about digital, but you have a unique background where you started out I believe kind of in maybe more like the entertainment world. Um, one of the companies you worked with is Baker and Taylor, where you guys really national retail video programs for Universal USA Playboy, which is dope. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> uh, he's like, oh, you're, you're trying. Mean, you had Playboy on your LinkedIn. I got to bring that up. Um, <laughs> but it, it's interesting how you it was kind of like a different industry. Right. And then yeah. you moved throughout and then you you joined Chicago Pneumatic and now you're with SureSeal. So it's fascinating to me specifically in the manufacturing side of it, where organizations maybe 20, 30 years ago, marketing really wasn't a, a, a big budget, um, but now it is, right? So it seems like every company has to have marketing. All of that is changing. Tell us a little bit kind of about your journey and how you really changed directions, but how has marketing changed throughout your career as well? And that's a huge question, but yeah, just let, yeah. let us know. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I can, when I look back at my career, I think every, um, every em employer that I worked for, I was doing something different. Um, yes, early on, on the entertainment side, um, you know, the skill set that was needed is, is much different than today. And if you are in marketing, you do have to evolve. Um, a big portion of, of my career, I was managing trade shows and we would do 100, 150 trade shows a year. Well, that industry is, is um, I don't want to say it's non-existent, but it has taken a big hit. And that's just a different way of doing business. And I think depending on um, the market you're in, that may make sense or it may not. But when I look back, each company I worked for, I had a different skill set that I had to perfect um, in order to be relevant and to be valued at the company. And um, that's one thing that I've learned is if you don't evolve, um, if you don't figure out what the company needs because every company needs something different they'll say marketing they don't really know what they're talking about they just know they it's need broad yeah, yeah. It's, it's so broad yeah what they mean is usually how do we accelerate sales how right. does this function help us grow sales more leads uh quicker close higher close you know number so um you have to be open and and be able to figure out because like when I look at each company I work for, 
they all had a need that was vastly different. And, th- and then I move on to the next company and it's not the same. Like I think to some degree, my past history is going to help, but it's, it's, it's limited. Um, you really have to evolve and you have to evolve quickly. Um, and even the five years I've been at SureSeal, what I originally came to do is a little different than what I'm doing now because it evolved that way. Um, you have to be open and, and recognize um, what's really going to drive uh, growth with the company and then accelerate that. Do you see some of the same platforms or same avenues just with a, obviously a different message? Like could it be, I don't know, television, social, branded merchandise? I mean, do you see some of the same tools used just in a different light or – um, yes, but I think, um, you know, one of the things that I, that I think I've figured out is, uh, a lot of times people want to do 10 or 15 or 20 things in marketing. Um, but I try to focus on three or four things really, really well. And the other stuff is just noise. Sure. And it's hard because everybody thinks they're in marketing. So everyone's coming to you with ideas. Hey, have you heard of this or that? Or have you thought of this? And you have to unfortunately say no. Like, right. I, yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to say that's great, but I don't really want to do that or I don't think that's going to move the meter or I don't think that's our space to, to play in. And um, because marketing is so broad and now with digital, because really marketing is digital, um, there's so many options and you just, no one has a big enough budget. No one has enough resources. And if you try and do too many things, you're doing everything average if you're lucky. And, um, you know, a lot of things in the past were not measurable. So when I think about trade shows and, and some of the other stuff, um, branded merchandising and, and whatnot, I think um, nowadays everything's measurable, at least everything that I do. And I try not to do anything or spend any money um, if it's not measurable that I can see a return on investment. I can pivot. I can um, figure out that that's not working for us and then, um, you know, allocate that, that money somewhere else. So I think it's really important to, to pick a few things, do it well, but still extend and take risk. And because if you're not failing, you're not trying, you got to You got to keep trying. But again, you know, you want to do that with I'm making this up 10 or 20 percent of your budget. You don't want to go all in um, because that could be very, very dangerous. But, um, you know, with with SureSeal, they were this um, great company. When I came there, it was it was actually called something else. Um, They had this great reputation, but no one knew who they were. Mm And when I interviewed, I actually thought, um, this isn't a place for me. These guys are so behind. Um, They don't get it. They haven't done anything. And um, they were like, no, 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 um, we're going to just hand you the keys and you just tell us what to do. And I was like, oh. It's a hell of a compliment. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And they're like, no, nah, we, we know we don't know what to do. That's why we haven't done anything. <laughs> I was like, that oh, is oh, why we need answer. you, sir. That's yeah. an answer. <laughs> so, I mean. No pressure. When, no, I, when I tried to do the research on them and 
none of them had LinkedIn profiles and their website looked like it was from the 80s, which it was done a few years prior. I was just like, wow. Um, but it was a great opportunity. And that's how I looked at it and thought, wow, they're going to hand me the keys to their brand. They are um, going to trust me. And, you know, it's, it's just it's all upside because they haven't done any, you know, anything. But their reputation was um, impeccable. So that that's really what um, attracted me. Sure, and you have to c- communicate that message, right? Like yeah. reputation, brand. Yeah, and then their leadership was, I mean, when I first got there, and, and I don't work for this person uh, directly anymore, but when I left that interview, I said, that's a guy I want to work for. I almost don't even care what the job is. If it's anything to do with marketing and sales, I'm in. Because he was he was a difference maker. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't get that opportunity. I worked some, for some great managers, but I knew I want to be attached to this guy. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. I, um, I, I say that about Scott a lot, you know, seven years ago when I got the opportunity to join this company, I didn't really know a lot about the brand and merch world. I knew I was a good salesperson. I knew I was a relationship builder. I knew I loved to fall in love with a process and learn an industry, but I thought, hell yeah, I can sell t-shirts. This is going to be simple. Now, you mentioned engineers. I was recruiting engineers for five years before that. That's a whole nother ball game. So I'm like, T-shirts, I got this. But the reality was when I came into the world, I wasn't going to be a resource to anybody until I dove into the industry and became a value, right? Understood that when I had those conversations, I could challenge them in a way that supported their brand, that brought new ideas to the table, like you said, that that are results that can be measured, and, and now I, I obviously, after seven years, feel that I'm a very you know, valuable person, not only to the company, but to our clients. But what I, I do you know, pressure not only our new employees, but really anybody going into a new job is, is diving deep into that specific company, that industry, falling in love with that process. I just recently have been watching this Netflix show called Quarterback. It just came out. I'm a huge Chiefs fan, and Patrick Mahomes is one of the guys. And they do, it's like the fifth episode, it's all about the mind, right? And it will blow your mind knowing not only how much these quarterbacks have to um, every week just literally dive into the playbook, but every single week is different, right? It doesn't matter if you're playing the same team. It's completely different. So every single week, Mahomes is literally 40, 50, 60 hours watching tape. And that's what makes him great, right? Not every quarterback does that, but he's committed every single week. I am going to know everything about the other team. When you talk about new people that come into the industries or anything, it seems to be like they want instant gratification. I'm going to come in here. I'm going to kill it. Kind of like my, my mindset seven years ago. And for you, you've been in a lot of different industries, right? So two questions. One, what would be advice to people going into a new industry, whether they have a lot of experience or not? And two, how do you become successful when you join Surseal not knowing about what it is, right? If they've never done marketing before, you've never sold this type of product before, how the hell am I going to make an impact until I know you know, what that industry is. So how did you do that? And was it just day one? Like, I'm going to learn everything about our clients. I'm going to learn everything about our industry. And how did you become what I would say kind of a valuable asset very quickly in a world where they had no marketing at all? That's a lot. Um, (laughs) It's going to take a few minutes to unpack. Well, (laughs) I asked some crazy questions on this thing, man. When I get going, I just get going. You know what I mean? No, no, it's fine. Um, (laughs) You know, I think... Uh, I was trying to think of my answer. Well, <laughs> You're next. Well, I can I can tell you what I well one the first question was 
What was your first question? About <laughs> for, so people that join into like what would be your advice on somebody joining an a industry, industry. Yeah. that th they don't know about but they know they could be it's a great company, right? But they they've never sold that product or they've never marketed that type of product. Well, first of all, what I do is not sexy. I mean, when I look back and you mentioned some of the brands that I worked with, they sound great. Unfortunately, they don't pay real well. Mm -hmm. So one thing I would tell people is um you know, a lot of the non-sexy companies out there that you've never heard of that are niche businesses um, pay better. And, and and that's not always, you know, um, important to people. But um, if you start having a family and children, um, you know, it gets important pretty quick. Mm -hmm. So, but what I would say is, you know, be open-minded because some of those companies are absolutely great to work for. And... Um, you know, you have to be open-minded. I mean, when I first got out of college, I worked for QVC down in, in Philadelphia. I thought it was the greatest job in the world. I was interviewing models and doing commercials, and um, it sounded great. It paid, all, you know, terribly. Yeah. And, um, you know, eventually had to, I had to leave and, and find something that, that was better. But every day was awesome. I wish I could have stayed and, and made it work, but... Um, you know, I later on I went to another company, you know, and handled their brand and, and worked for Universal and Playboy and DreamWorks. And again, great company, a lot of perks, but ultimately not a lot of um, exposure to grow. So what I would tell people is, you know, really I would focus on the manager first because who you work for is, is almost more important than the company and what they do. If you work for a great manager that's going to uh, mentor you, teach you, expose you, let you um, expand, that's that's worth more than anything. Um, and, and I can even – I mean I look back and I think I stayed too long at a few of the places that I worked for because they were not investing in me. They were not letting me grow. And um, I got a little comfortable and – I probably stayed too long. I wouldn't do that again. Um, but one, I think, you know, connecting with the manager that that you like, you get along with, um, can teach you, that's, that's super important. Um, that's one. And then two, a company that is going in the right direction is a leader, whether they're big or small, doesn't matter, but are they, are they good at what they do? Um, you know, in their niche business. And, and Shurseal was. So that was great. I mean, I look back, I work for the, the top brand company um, in the Skylight market. Then I, you know, then I went to one of the best tool companies in, in the globe. And then I went to this place, which no one heard of, but they were, they were one of the best in the Southeast area. And, um, you know, I think the answer to your question is be open-minded, learn as much as you can, spend really a lot of time with salespeople. If you, if you think marketing is this process where there's a line in the sand and you do X, Y, and Z, and then you, you stop and you say, okay, it's, it's yours now, you're not going to be successful. You, you really have to connect with your sales group and see it all the way through. So know your salespeople and then know your customers. Spend time, you know, if there's a, they call it a, you know, voice of customer. If you can 
implement that process or get data on that, that will make you valuable. Because then you just accelerate that. You figure out what moves a customer to make the decision to choose you, you're going to be valuable. And then you you figure out how to accelerate that and, and then you just keep going down that direction. Love it. Love it. Could talk a little bit. So you've been there five years. Um, you recently went through a rebrand. I would like to know a little bit about that process. What what created the need for a rebrand? Um, how did that process go internally? And it sounds like with you being the lead of marketing that um, – that was probably on your plate a great deal. Yep. Um, and we're in the brand and merchandise business, so we love a rebrand. <laughs> we uh, love a rebrand. Because that means we get to do all the product <laughs> over with the new logo and yeah. insignia and a message. And then how's that going for you? Well, it, one, um, first off, two companies that were came together. So there was Muller that was here in Charlotte, and then there's Sure Seal out of Cincinnati. In essence, um, the two companies merged. We hired a brand company um, that really kind of evaluated the two brands and then made recommendations. And um, that was a long process. It was probably six months. So originally, we wanted a, a new name. We said, hey, let's let's drop Sure Seal and Muller. Um, they're both super strong. And, um, but we thought, hey, this is an opportunity. If we're ever going to change the name to something else, this is the time. So um, we went through that process. We had this expert or this expert firm, and they would recommend, you know, they started with 30 names, and we would say, how did you come up with these names? And a little more, a little far-fetched, and we didn't, we didn't get it. And for what we do, we're, it was, um, it was too much. I mean, we're just kind of a, you know, our industry is pretty simple. We don't need to be super creative with our name. But, you know, 30 goes to 20, goes to 10, goes to 5, and eventually um, a couple people made a rec. well, the firm made a recommendation. We want this name or we recommend this name. And, um, you know, the leadership team at SureSeal slash Muller um, evaluated those recommendations. And then at the end we just said, we don't think it's worth it. I mean, we were glad to do the exercise, um, but we felt that the names that were proposed were not better than what we already had. And both Shurseel and Muller have been around one sixty-five years, the other one eighty years. Well, there's history there. There's there's a brand equity. So um, I think because Shurseel was bigger. Um, than Mueller. And when we first kind of announced the merger, we we verbally said SureSeal bought Mueller. Um, more, you know, that's that's semantics, but um, because we already ha- kind of had that message out there. And SureSeal has an excellent um, reputation, so which made the, the merger easy. Um, you know, same culture, Everything was so similar, same markets. So um, it was really, there wasn't a, a ton. I mean, it was a big part of the process was up to that point. And then it, when it came to what they recommended, which I won't say those names, we just looked at each other and just said, I don't think so. 
Like, uh, I don't think that's going to make us better. And there's also this risk. So you go with a new name, then how long does it take you to be that new name and have the same brand equity in the market? And I think it's probably three to five years. Yeah. I, and that's just, my, you know, and I also think you have to spend a lot of money. Well, I was going to say a large budget too, right? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. when we kind of said, okay, we're, if we go with this new name, and then I said, here's probably the budget, because you got to get the awareness out. And, you know, quickly, that you know, people were like, wow, that's a lot more money than we realized. And I'm like, well, if you want to reach X amount of people, that's what it's going to take. And then we just kind of thought to ourselves, I think we're creating more work than than what's necessary. Let's just keep it simple. It's either going to be Mueller or, or Sure Seal. And we went, we just went with Sure Seal. Um, Mueller has been around forever, but it, it's it's a name of somebody that's not even involved with the company. He's passed away a long time ago, and um, you know the name Mueller doesn't really mean anything. Um, it's a name, so that's that's kind of how we got to Sure Seal. Um, of course, we had to rebrand everything and. Um, that process is is challenging, but um, in the end, I think we made the right decision, and um, you know we're you know we're, we're we're moving on with that. And I think um, you know it was very easy for the people at Mueller to accept the Sure Seal, and um, because their reputation was so good, and um, that was easy. So I think we made something really complicated at the beginning, <laughs> and then when it came down to it, it was just like, wow, we could have decided this six months ago and, then sp- and not spend all the money on this brand company. But it was a good exercise to do, and we learned a lot. Sure. When, when you guys it? did the merge, um, how difficult was it to, to kind of merge those cultures? Right. You bring two. It's basically like taking two families and let's come together and we're going to be one family and it's going to be perfect. But it's probably not perfect, at least for the beginning. The people that, you know, were under the brand Mueller. How was that? Was it easy? Was it hard as as marketing or anyone, really? Well, I think it's well, first of all, it is stressful for everybody because you don't if there's some duplication of, of efforts, then there could be um, some decisions that have to be make, uh, made, and um, that's uncomfortable. So, but, um, you know, I think at least from, I mean, the, the people that are, I mean, obviously some people have left, but I think um, what, how we looked at it, at least from the crew in Charlotte is, hey, uh, it's, it's an opportunity for, the best to, to rise. And, um, and that's how it should be to some degree. I don't think there was a lot of politics involved. I think we all kind of thought to ourselves, Hey, we're going to, um, divide and conquer. But at the end, to some degree, if you're being responsible with the business, you, you want to keep the people that are really, uh, making a difference. But, um, you know, I think there, there, like anything, I think one, the people that are actually making the parts that are in the warehouse, they don't they don't know any difference. I mean, they come to work, they don't see the change at all. The people, you know, in the office, they definitely um, they feel that they it's a little uncomfortable, and, and unfortunately, it's just the way it has to be. But um, you know, for the most part, we didn't really lose many people. We just kind of expanded and 
maybe shift uh, roles and we thought, hey, this is an opportunity that this person may be better. I mean, there were no layoffs or anything like that. We just shifted. And then some people, unfortunately, didn't, didn't cut it. They were not going to perform at the level that was expected. And um, and that's okay, too. Like you say, the, <clears throat> the cream rises to the to the top, right? Yeah. And um, gives, gives opportunity uh, for movement upwards for the ones that do want to hang in there. That's right. With a growing brand, um, what's that mean for your customers as you guys move forward uh, with more power, it sounds like, between the two companies? Well, being one. It, it certainly means, well, one, we have um, a bigger, I don't, we have more capabilities, we have more locations. So we are, um, we have new capabilities that we may not have before because, you know, we've acquired a, a couple companies and each company may have a little bit of a, of a, of a different spin on, on what they do and how they do it and the materials that they use. So that's really good. Um, we have increased buying power because now we're X big and, um, now we have a voice with some of our suppliers. We had a voice, but now we have a bigger voice. So there's some economies of scale that we can pass on to our customers if if they were used to you know price X. Well, now we can share um, some of those advantages that we have. So, and then you know as you as you grow, you're picking up new talent. So you're constantly getting better people, smarter people, and then you expose them and let them grow. So for the customer, they're getting, you know, I wouldn't say better product. They're getting the same product, but they're getting maybe more options. Mm -hmm. um, they may be getting it for the same price or, or a smaller price. They may be getting um, more expertise that we could not offer before. So, and then, you know, multiple locations, there may be some turn times that are now increased because we're capable of servicing customers quicker and faster because we have three locations right now um, that we manufacture from. So, and we're going to probably add another one or two in the next six months to, to a year. So we are um, looking at multiple companies and expanding our reach right now. So we, we... We really focus on speed, so we think speed wins. If you can, you know, provide samples fast, quotes fast, product fast, answer the phone fast, um, you're going to win more than more than the other guy. Absolutely. And is that all USA manufactured? Yeah, that's awesome. Boom. Yeah. Do you, do you see growth opportunity there, uh, just in the manufacturing space? Kind of, do you see some of that shift coming back into the U.S.? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Industry wide. Yeah, we're That's seeing awesome. that. That's good to hear. Well, I think, you know, with the supply chain um, crisis, it, crisis <laughs> yeah. that that has opened up some people, and and they've said, oh, okay, um, maybe this part should not be made overseas. You know, the turn time is just too long, and the uncertainty of when they're going to get stuff. We. Um, we bailed out a company that was in a crisis that um, their parts were not going to make it and they were going to shut the whole plant down. Hundreds of employees wow. were not going to go to work. And, um, you know, we got the phone call and 
I'm making this up. You know, it was like a Tuesday, and by Sunday they had the parts. Awesome. We, we scrambled. I mean, somebody had to drive somewhere, pick up these parts. They were a material that we weren't, um, we were familiar with, but we didn't work with it a lot. But you know, we love those challenges. And um, I think like a week or two later, a couple of sales guys went out there, and people in the factory were shaking our hands, saying thank you. Love Everyone that. knew that we bailed them out, and. Um, you know that was that was a good test for us because mm-hmm. we like to say we can do that kind of stuff, but um, you know that company won't be ordering those parts from that supplier anymore. New customers, yeah. that's right. You proved yourself right out of the gate. You made um, it happen. Yeah. That's what we say all the time. Make it that's happen. The name of the game. Um, you know, you think about technology and the advancements of that, and everything is changing so quickly. Obviously, with AI technology jumping into the world. Um, you know, Gary V said yesterday or a couple of days ago, if, if you're not diving into AI and understanding what it is, you're going to be the guy that, that doesn't know what email is in 10 years, right? Or 10 years ago. Yeah. So it's pretty fascinating. How do you guys go about not only continuing to advance technology, but do you get requests from customers that might be just completely brand new, might require new machinery, might require new engineers? How do you guys go about, you know, really the advancements and not over, not only aerospace, but all of the, the, the the industries that you serve? Well, I think one of the things that we're really good at is having really good relationships with our suppliers because they're the ones coming up with the new materials. Yep. Um, so we have, you know, I don't want to tell you how often, but we are talking to our suppliers daily. They are coming into the shop weekly. We are having lunch and learns and bringing the suppliers um, with us to the OEMs. So it's really um, educating yourself with the suppliers because most people just don't do that. They they kind of forget um, and they put all the focus to the customer, which I get, but if you focus on the suppliers and know their materials and what they're coming up with and then go into these meetings jointly, you're gonna be really successful. Um, so we, we kind of focus on maybe 10 suppliers and knowing their stuff inside and out. We probably work with 200 suppliers, but there's 10 that are really the leaders in this type of space. Mm-hmm. And um, we think that if we partner up with these guys, they're, they're, they're going to help us get to the next level because it's a win-win for both. You know, they, got, they get their material in there. Um, they're in the conversations. We're coming with our engineers and our expertise, but we're coming with their engineering. Mm-hmm. So if, if a customer says, hey, we need X, Y, and Z, well, we don't make the materials. We may cut it and we may do some other stuff with it. We're the converter. That's, that's why they call us converters. But when the OEM or when the OEM says X, Y, and Z, and this is what's going to make us successful, it's great for the supplier to hear that. Mm-hmm. And most people just don't bring their suppliers in, on, in those meetings. Yeah, we. I mean, we talk about that all the time. We're only as good as our suppliers, yeah. right? And and for us, we have the same ability. We could buy from thousands and thousands of suppliers and have the ability to do that in an instant. Yeah. But the reality is, is we would like to be more important to less, right? And and understand what they do inside and out. But for our our world, it's more about: Are they there to answer the phone when something goes wrong? Are they there to problem solve? Are they there to fix it? Because the bottom line, if the customer's not happy, nobody's happy. 
But if I don't know what my supplier does, how they sell it, how they roll, what lead times are, what capabilities are, then what value am I to my clients, right? And so that's how we partner up with our suppliers all the time. It's very interesting to see that's how you guys do it as well. Um, if we have people that are listening that are interested, you know, in the business, whether, um, you know, they're an engineer or they're in marketing or somebody that would be interested in your business, um, or, you know, maybe a company that's interested in learning more, what's the best way to, to get in contact with you guys to follow your story? Are you guys on social media? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't know. You never I, know. You I, I never was, know. I was waiting for you to pause. You so. never know. <laughs> I mean, yes, we have YouTube videos out there. There we and, go. You know, we do have a website, so you can obviously find us at SureSeal.com. It's a great website, too. Great website. Well, Very easy, you. digestible, and there's so much information, right? So it's almost like a website where you could be overwhelmed very quickly, but it's not. You did a great job on that. Well, thank you. So let's. what's the best way for them to reach you? What is the website? SureSeal.com. Okay. And then what about uh, you specifically? Can they connect with you on LinkedIn? Can they reach yeah, out to you? Absolutely. I'm on LinkedIn. Awesome. Find him on LinkedIn. The, the website is sur-seal.com, and you can check out all of that information. Now, I want to before we let you go, I want to jump jump into this. We were talking, uh, you have two daughters that are teenagers right now, and as a father of a five and a three-year-old, um, you know, that's the biggest challenge for me is making sure that I have time for my kids and not getting so in the weeds with work, right? Um, I feel like a lot of people, it's career, it's career, it's career, and then you blink and your kids are in high school or your kids are graduating and you're like, I really should have spent time with them. So that's super important to me. When I get home, I do not look at anything until my kids are in bed, right? I don't care what's going on. If you call me at 6.30, I'm not picking up. It is what it is, right? That's my time for my kids and I, and I love that. What's your advice for for parents? You've been a professional. You've gone to different companies. Clearly, when you go into a new company, you got to devote a lot of time, right, to, to add that value because it's important for you to bring in that money to your family. But what's your advice to, to parents and, and how has it been being a parent and also juggling kind of that full-time career that you're trying to uh, continue to evolve? Um, well, first of all, you know, I only know up to – the ages that I'm at. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> good answer. <laughs> so 14 and 16 is, is all I know. So, um, you know, anyone with older <laughs> children, my advice is, is not relevant. Right. Um, but, but what I can tell you is, I mean, you're at a, your kids are at a great age. So, um, you want to suck up as much of that time as you can, because eventually they're not going to look up to you and think you're that cool. Exactly. And it's coming sooner than you think. Um, that's so depressing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I know they all you I, have to do is think about know, our childhood and how we evolved. I know. You I, just, I made my dad drop me off three blocks from the school because I thought his car was ridiculous <laughs> in seventh grade, you know, like, and he thought I was ridiculous. Yeah. But now I understand that I was ridiculous. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because that stuff doesn't even matter. But yeah. it did when you were in seventh grade. You know, yeah. what I would say is <laughs> your kids are sponges. They're they're watching everything. So you really have to practice what you preach. So if you are telling your kids that, you know, this work-life balance is important, then you have to show it. You can't work all the time and then come home and say, this is what you're supposed to be doing because they're watching you mm -hmm. and um, whether you realize it or not. So if, if that's the life you want for your kids, then you have to, you have to do that and you have to figure out, you know, the best way to, to make that work because you, you know, if you're with a, if you're making a difference at your company, um, there are expectations. People expect you to answer the phone and respond to an email, but 
you know, everyone's reasonable. I don't think it's reasonable to expect that at 10 o'clock at night, no. Um, and if you work for a company that does expect that, that's probably not the right company because I don't think that's I don't think that's good for anybody. But um, you know, my my advice is because you're you're early in the game, but where I'm at, I notice that I get in some situations and I have to think like, okay, my kids are going to know my decision here. And um, if you think about them when you make your decision, whether it's personal or private, um, it'll change. It'll change the way you think of things. Um, so, you know, know that they're watching and know that they're, you know, they're, they're looking up to you, whether you're someone to look up to or not, they're going to look up to you. And, um, you know, if something happens and I'll give you an example, which it's not a, it's not a, it's an example, but something happened that um, uh, a young boy lost his life recently at, uh, at school. And um, my daughter wasn't able to, to make um, one of the services. She was uh, unfortunately in Alaska and, and couldn't get back. But, um, you know, my wife and I went to, to the service or not, a, not the service, but what they did at the high school. And someone said something to me like, oh, that, that's good that you're doing that. And I'm like, well, one, it's the right thing to do. But my daughter is also watching. And that's important, too. And, um, you know, you want to set this example. And, um, you know, when you, when, when you know your kids are watching, it may make you act different. It may make you think different. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, I guess, the advice that I would give you. It's great advice. It's great advice. I love that. And, and I know, you know, that means a lot to your, your daughter, right? With her not being able to go there, but knowing that, that you were there, um, means a lot because I think if I was in that position and, and you guys just blew it off, like, well, we maybe didn't know the kid or, you know, it was whatever. Um, I'm sitting there kind of like, well, I did, you know, and, and it would almost be like, I just needed somebody from my family to be there. So good for you. That's awesome, man. That's great advice. I love it. I always love asking people to come on the podcast who have kids because everybody has a story. And you mentioned this previously. Everybody that's been on our podcast has failed more than they've been successful. But it just fascinates me, the ones that that are successful and they can juggle being a parent and then also being you know a, a successful professional. I think it's what everybody wants in life, right? But it's that constant you know juggle, right? And, and understanding right. where you where your time is needed. So that's phenomenal. Um, well, this has been great, Billy. I really do appreciate you coming on, learning you know more about SureSeal. It's so cool to know we're sitting right here in the city and literally a couple minutes you know outside of the city. You know, we have a USA made manufacturer that's doing amazing things, working for global brands, continuing to grow. And uh, I think with you, you know, helping them in marketing, you guys have a, a, an incredible future. Uh, and, and, and it's just going to be exciting to see what you guys, you know, do next. And who knows, maybe you'll be making, you know, AI flying cars soon. We'll be, we'll be flying to work. Uh, who knows? Coming fast. Yeah, it's coming fast. But this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Like we always say, please like, share, comment. Go check uh, out SureSeal.com. Go connect with, uh, with Billy on LinkedIn. And again, you know, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for, you know, your success. We, we wish you, you know, the best in the future. And, uh, and I think you guys are in really good hands with you uh, pushing the brand. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's uh, been a great morning. Awesome. I love it. Until next time, you have been listening to this episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast. You've been listening to the Brand Builders Podcast, brought to you by the Dunstan Group with your host, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. 
For branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last, check out the Dunstan Group at dunstangroup.com.